Good morning, everybody. Uh, great to have you with us this morning. Uh, hope you're well. Uh, now, this year, 2021, will be, uh, in April, will be, I would have been a believer in Jesus 26 years. I mean, it seems like a long time. Now, he radically changed my life, turned my future destiny around by experiencing his grace and through the people of God known as the church and, of course, by his written word. From a very early on, in, from a very early on in my Christian walk, I spent a long time a long, long time reading, discussing the Bible and reading the Word with friends, in particular uh, some of the leaders here at Comchurch and back in the day, a friend, still a friend of mine, Ron McKinney, we spent hours reading the Word and it was great. And, and the Word, the Bible would encourage me, it would challenge me, strengthen me and through the Holy Spirit it would come alive to me. And, and I still love it today. And the truth within it sustains my faith, it keeps me going. It sustains my faith in Jesus, it assures me of his saving grace. Now, uh, my uh, scripture that I'm working from this morning is Hebrews 4, verse 12. And it says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, I love this verse. And like many verses like it, it starts with a very important word. Only three word, three letters, but it's a very important word, and that word is for. Now, we use it all the time, for, but in this case, it indicates a purpose, a need, or a reason. And the reason I say that is because because we, we see the outcome, we see the result, because it says it, it says it, the word penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart because it is not only living, it is active in our lives. So, what is the for for? Well, let's go through the main parts of Hebrews 4 here. Um, so we're going to look at the context, the bigger picture of what the author was trying to say um, and trying to communicate. Now, I've broken it down into four areas, which we're going to look at this morning. Firstly, the aim of life is to enter God's rest. So that's get to heaven, um, to be with him, his forgiveness, his grace, his love, his mercy, his joy forever and eternity. Number two is the indispensable means by which we enter that rest. And that is faith by believing in Jesus. Number three, the indispensable means of believing, which is the word of God, his promises and his gospel. And finally, number four, is the diligence in that means. So we don't fail to enter his rest. We need to know the word of God and be vigilant in it. So let's break those down. So number one, the aim of life is to enter God's rest. Now, scripture in 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, in the verse, Peter is addressing, um, there's, there's a group of people who are mocking the early Christians because they are saying Jesus is coming back and he hadn't returned. You know, they might have been saying, you know, the end is nigh or uh, repent or perish, you know, running around and telling everybody but Jesus hadn't returned yet, so they thought that was an opportunity to mock them. And as true as the statements were that they were saying, uh, Jesus hadn't returned. They thought because it was imminent, they could mock because he hadn't returned yet. And in the same way, he hasn't returned still today. And the reason that is, is his merciful act of the Father. God gives people time. And, but as we know, time is much shorter than we think. Time isn't as long as we think we haven't got loads and loads of time. 
But we know that God is calling us to himself even today. He's given the opportunity even today to follow him. He wants everyone to repent and turn to Jesus. So that's why he's calling us so that we may enter the rest that he has prepared for us. He's prepared for all believers not not to perish in darkness and away from him, but eternally with him, with his love and protection. And that's the gospel. And that's why we have the Great Commission on the wall at Comchurch. It's one of the train tracks that we follow here at Comchurch, the Great Commission. John 6.40 says that for the Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son... And believes in him has eternal life. And I will raise them up in the last day. Jesus said those words, that he will raise us up in the last day if we look to the Son and believe in him. It is God's will, now that he's made a way to heaven through Jesus, that those who turn to him will enter the eternal rest. The promise place, the place of promise that he has given. And it's only through Jesus that we can enter. Number two is the means by which we enter, and that is faith. This is what Hebrews 4 is talking about. And in Hebrews 4, verse 3, it says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. We need to believe. Now, I do get, you know, it's not always easy for everyone to believe. And as I told you, you know, before April 95, I didn't believe in God. I had no interest in Jesus, had no interest in the church or the Bible, nothing like that, until God reached out to me through others. I mean, I remember coming here in the early, back in the back in the day, '95. Um, remember coming to the church and joining small groups and being part of a Bible study on the end times. I had no idea what what they were talking about, but something drew me. Something was calling me. There was an awakening in me, a belief that started to sprout that I didn't have before, and I'd never felt anything like it before. Until one night, I, I was seeking advice from, it was Rob McKinney who I mentioned earlier. I went round just to seek advice and speak to him. And then and that night, I accepted Jesus. I accepted the message of the gospel. I believed in my heart and made a decision and a confession of faith. Now, this is important because in Romans 10, 5 to 9, um, the Bible says this. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. And the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a great promise. That is in Romans 10, 5 to 9. What a great promise. So at that moment, I started to believe in my heart and I made a public confession of faith and my faith grew. And that brings me to the third point in Hebrews 4. This is the how and the means of believing. And it is the word of God, the gospel. Now, the Bible tells us that faith comes from hearing the word or hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, from the same chapter, Hebrews 4, verse 2, it says, For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we see from the text here, the author uh, is writing to their audience that they also had the good news proclaimed to them, just as they did. Now, the they mentioned in that text there is the people of Israel who were led 
by Moses out of Egypt. And we see that in the previous chapter, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, um, 16 to 19. And he says, who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They did not enter because they were rebellious, disobeyed God because of unbelief. And they, as in verse 2 says, they did not share with, with the faith of those who obeyed, so the message they heard was of no value to them. They did not enter a physical promised land. So they're talking about a physical promised land, the natural rest, because of their unbelief of the promise of the word of God given to them. In the same way, if anyone fails to believe the word of God, the message of the good news of Jesus, they fail to enter God's rest. And that's the point they're trying to make in Hebrews. In my last point, I mentioned Romans 10 and in verse 8, it says, The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. The word is alive and the message of faith we need to believe and trust. We need to believe and trust the word that is given. Now, the author and pastor John Piper says this, God and his word are the reality we need, the rock under our feet. It's the word of God that reveals God's plan to the world. It tells us who Jesus is. We know Jesus is the living word through the written word. We know that he is the way, the truth and life through the written word. We enter his rest because we believe the word about the good news of Jesus, the salvation that is found in Jesus and him alone. It is by grace we are saved through faith, and that faith is in Jesus. And so my fourth and final point is the diligence of God's word. So we need to be attentive to God's word, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. We need to preach the gospel so people can hear it and receive it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8 says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to it, we need to hold firmly to the gospel preached to us, to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, we need to believe the correct gospel. Not that there is another one, by the way, because this is a kind of an argument Paul makes throughout the Bible when he writes his letters, because we do not want to believe in vain. Paul often talked about this. And we don't want to be fooled by anything else that comes out or misled. Because he says that, um, he goes on to say in verse 3, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. What is this? That Christ died for us. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, even though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and at last he appeared to me. And that is um, the author of, of that verse, in 1 Corinthians, Paul. He used the term according to the scriptures several times there because it is proof of what the prophets had spoken about Jesus. The truth we need to understand and clearly be taught and explained. 
I mentioned the Great Commission earlier, and, and that means to make disciples, so that we need to preach the truth that the others and whoever hears our message and receives it, the message of Jesus, don't fail to enter God's rest. We need to be attentive to the word and be diligent to the text. Now, the author, famous author you will probably know, C.S. Lewis, said this, everyone reads, everyone hears things discussed. Consequently, if you do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you don't have any ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ones, bad, muddled, out-of-date ideas. We need to be diligent with the text of Scripture. It is God's inspired word. The gospel, the good news, needs to be understood fully and preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be preached with the power of God and the word goes out to this world. We all need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it because it's what sustains us and keeps us. And the truth in those words will set us free. So as I close this morning, I want to say that the word is alive and active and it cuts right through the centre of our being, it cuts right to our heart, it challenges us and changes us. Uh, theologian and author John Stott says, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behaviour. It leads us to the truth of Jesus through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the mystery of the gospel will become alive to us. So three things I just want to challenge us with as we finish this morning. One, receive the message. If you've not received the message of the good news of Jesus, today is that day. We don't have loads of time. Time is running out. So today, receive the message of Jesus so that you may enter that rest. To everybody else, maybe you've received Jesus uh, and you're not sure what to do during this time. Go. The Great Commission is go. Go make disciples. Go preach the word about Jesus to the world so that people can hear. And thirdly, be a student of the word. Be attentive to what it says. Be diligent. Share it with one another. Let's talk about it. Discuss it. Read it. Learn from it. The word is not a book of fairy tales and it is a living and active through the breath and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It will change you, encourage you, and the message it tells will bring hope to you in this season. In Jesus' name, thank you.